You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself. <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Hello and welcome to Real Talk number seven on the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. And I'm Wesley Meineker. Wesley! Hello, welcome gentlemen. Welcome back, brother. The triumphant return. Yeah, I am stoked. I always love uh, when I'm able to make an appearance on the show. On I love it when you personally can. Personally, my favorite podcast. So Hell yeah. Whenever not, on. It's a not, not last year. We were your second favorite, apparently. Yeah. I know. You know what it is. You know what it is. <laughs> the further you go back in time in your year in reviews, the less movies I've seen. So that means the less <laughs> I'm able to listen to full episodes. It's totally fair. But, but, number now, one. but now, we're, now we're going back forward in time. Exactly. So exactly. we'll be able to tread some ground that you're well familiar with. Exactly. Exactly. We're now we're now in '97, which is after my birth year. I think we still have several to go. I I can never remember uh, yours, and it makes me sad every time I hear it. But yeah, we're, not, we're yet to reach yours. I I will not be revealing. <laughs> 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 well, again, Wes, we're ha- we're ha- we're ha- oh sorry, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, Wes, do you uh, do you want to say what you showed us uh, before we got on air? Uh, the, the oh yeah gave us yeah so um i presented manny and sam some gifts that i'd been holding on to maybe not as good as kyle's gift that he gave you guys a couple weeks ago but uh i thought i could try to match it uh i gave i presented sam with a departed poster as i know that's his favorite scorsese movie and one of his favorite movies and then i gave manny a usual suspects poster which i don't know if it's one of his favorites but i know that it, it's, it wouldn't that. be my it wouldn't be in my top twenty, but it is a movie I love and adore. Uh, obviously, filled with problematic people, but uh, a movie I still <laughs> love nonetheless. If I, I believe correctly, that was like one of the first, if not the first, movies that you recommended to me to watch. It was like that and Seven when yeah, we first met. That that that, like, that, that tracks that tracks. Yeah. Yes. On the on the list of forty movies that Manny gave me when we first met, when I asked for recommendation, Usual Suspects was on there. As was As was Seven. Did in, you have you gone through that whole list? We did a while ago. Uh, we we review it every now and again. Like we go through the list every now and again to see how many we've ticked off. There were so he sent me forty. I remember counting forty. Was it forty? Yeah. I always thought it was forty-seven for some reason. Well, I mean, I I remember counting forty, but also one of those recommendations was the entire MCU. Oh, that's so. right. It's kind of debatable exactly how many it was. I, I, it was somewhere in the 40s, at any rate, uh, if you count the MCU as one. And at the time, I think I'd seen roughly a quarter of them. I'd probably seen like 10-ish. Um, okay. now, last we checked, I think I was up to like 35 of them. I was like getting pretty close to getting the entire list done. I should really check back on that and see see how close we are to the end. Yeah. We should, we should, what we should do is recheck that list at episode 300. Yeah. That's actually a good call. I'm excited <laughs> for that episode. Yeah, we have a couple of ideas for that episode mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get going on a couple of those ideas. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
let's get into this. Uh, thank you again, Wes, so much for joining us. We always love it when you're able to uh, to squeeze us into your very busy schedule, and uh, we we love having you on. I we, might uh, honestly, I call this the definition of a tough act to follow. Because <laughs> last episode, the top ten of 2023, it's the top 10 list of the year is always my favorite episode that you guys do. And yeah, that's uh, awesome. I enjoyed it. I had numerous, numerous parts of the podcast that I, uh, that garnered several chuckles for me, especially you guys <laughs> thinking that Joker two is going to be my number one of 20. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it. I, but I, I don't know if they, if it manages to be my number one, they have, uh, they have pulled out a masterpiece but at, at this point. I don't know. I won't. I won't lie. Trying to predict everybody's number one has become a very enjoyable endeavor. Yeah, but hard. Almost hard. impossible. Oh, it's always impossible. Like, well, I, I know that my most anticipated was my number one, and my predicted number one was my number four. So that's not bad, but that's predicting for myself. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm guessing, I'm guessing a David Fincher will be high on my list. Ooh, what, how risk, <laughs> how risky of a pick. <laughs> Yeah, I think I predicted uh, Barbie would be my number one. It was my number five. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the movie that occupied my number one, I had never heard of at the time that we made those predictions. So, it's just kind of the yeah. way it goes. And I have a feeling that that's going to be the same thing next year. Like, something that comes out of Sundance or out of Cannes or yeah. Venice, like anything like that. It's, I agree. It's possible. I agree. But fun, nevertheless. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun endeavor. Um, yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Let's review our question of the week that we posted on our Spotify account. As always, as promised, when someone answers on Spotify, I will read their answer on air. But it just so happens that the person that answered is our guest this week. What? Yeah. Who's that? It is our good, friend, our good friend Wesley. So, Wes, you wrote down one answer, and we'll be able to get into a couple more if you'd like, but what was your answer for the biggest snub at the Oscars? Biggest snub at the Oscars. Might be a controversial take. Probably is within our group. But uh, I put Celine Song for Best Director. I don't think that's controversial. I don't I, think that's controversial at all. That, I, I, I that, love that. If, it may be controversial that it's the biggest, but I don't think it's controversial that it's a snub. Even yeah. A little bit. Yeah, I because I know everyone... Most of the discourse has been that Greta Gerwig uh, should have gotten in for director. I'm not as high on Barbie as everyone else in the group is. I still think it's a fun movie. And honestly, the direction was one of the highlights um, of that movie. But personally, I just love Past Lives so much more and more than, well, pretty much all of the directors that were nominated um, for Best Director. I think I would probably put her in over either Nolan or Jonathan Glazer for best director. Um, I, I would I would probably swap out Glazer. Um, you've seen all then, f you've seen all five. I have seen all five. I just yeah. watched one of interest on Saturday. So yeah. Um, and then honestly, for other categories, like there's a bunch that I could I could swap in some of the the past lives actors for, like Greta Lee and best actress and Tao Yu and best actor and who would you take out um, an actress to put Greta Lee in? An actress? Yeah. Of the I mean, ones you... Naya, or whatever, however you say that. Nia? Naya? Na it's Naya. No, Naya. I have Naya. Okay, you got to take out somebody you've seen. No. Out of the ones I've seen, <laughs> I guess I should walk this statement back. Out of the ones I've seen, the three that I've seen, they are my three favorite performances. Okay. I'm Sandra Hulker, Lily Gladstone, and... Uh, wait. 
Oh yeah, Emma Stone. Emma Stone, Past Lives, which is my favorite of the year. I couldn't swap out any of those. Okay. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Like I said, I don't like go walking into movies without with some preconceived notions, but yep. have a feeling I'm gonna like Gretely a tad bit more than the other two I haven't seen. But not 100% sure. You never know. Could be my favorite movies of all time for all we know. I, I'm only I'm only missing um, Annette Benning uh, out of the Best Actress. Uh, I could because I love Greta Lee so much. I love that performance, and I feel personally for me that was a snub. I would take out Sandra Huller. Oh, for for Greta Lee. Okay. Gl- gl- Glad Gladstone and Stone are untouchable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I really liked Carrie Mulligan in Maestro. It is, it is sadly almost the kind of a performance that you think of as Oscar bait, but she's right. really, but she's really fucking good. And I'm not diminishing Sandra Huller at all. I just really wanted Greta Lee to be in there. Yeah, fuck. There were some good performances this year. Yeah, it really was. Uh. But- uh- you and Go you ahead. wanted to put in. I'm sorry, I, I don't remember the actors, the lead actor in Past Lives. I can't, I don't know his name off by heart. Um, yeah, Tao Yu. Thank I you. I believe his, I do not have the film pulled up or the list of nominees pulled up. That but. is that is great off the top of your head. Tao Yu indeed did play Haysom. And then out of the nominees, I've seen four of them. I think I've only seen one because what? Let's see if I can get this off the top of my head. Okay, we got Paul Giamatti. Coleman Domingo, Jeffrey Wright, Bradley Cooper, and then did I say Killian Murphy yet? You, you just did. did. Know, but that is, <laughs> yeah. I've only seen Killian, so I I, I don't think I could take him. Take him <laughs> out. But did you say you've no, only seen Killian Murphy out of all those? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I've seen my stroke, definitely... seen the holdovers. I'm dying to see the holdovers. Definitely. Like, are you just waiting for it to get a little bit cheaper? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think they 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 brought it back to a couple theaters now ba- down here in Vancouver since the Oscar nominations were l- released. So I'm gonna try to squeeze in um, screening. Hell yeah! I, but we shall yeah, see. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm highly anticipating that one. All right. Yeah. So you basically have in your mind you have four open slots that you could slot him because you haven't seen anybody. Exactly. Yeah. That's the logic I'll go. With. I've seen four, and I have mm-hmm. one open slot because I haven't seen Coleman Domingo. I don't think I can take out any of the four for him. As much as I love him, I just, there's no way I could. That's fair. That's fair. Yep. Um, other than that, uh, I guess, yeah, the, the last two that I'll mention, I was really rooting for Spider-Verse to get in for either visual effects or best score. Um, Cause that's what a lot of people were pulling for, or even, I mean, I know this would never happen in a million years, but even if they got best director or a best picture nomination, I would not be against that whatsoever. But... I honestly, I honestly wouldn't have been shocked to have seen a best picture nomination. I, I really don't think that early, would have been early in the first half of the year. A lot of people were pulling for it. 100%. Yeah. As more stuff came out, it started to fall down, but I would have been overjoyed to see that in there, but alas, no. The the academy is a bunch of old fucks that does not respect animation. So yes. maybe one day, maybe one day. Well, you could, yeah, and the like, amount of uh, the amount of hip hop influence on the score definitely cost it there as well. Yeah, for sure. Totally. All right, that was a nice little uh, recap of some of the Oscar snubs. Uh, why don't we get into what we've been watching, Sam? You have some films you wanted to discuss. Why don't you lead us off? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll breeze through uh, a couple of them here. I did watch four films this week, other than one we're, uh, we're going to talk about later. Uh, so the first one I'll touch on is uh, Theater Camp, which is a 2023 Nice. Uh, the, the eccentric staff of a rundown theater camp in upstate New York must band together with the beloved founder's bro-y son to keep the camp afloat. I do appreciate IMDb's use of the word bro-y, B-R-O. Dash Y. Uh, this is directed by Molly Gordon and uh, Nick Lieberman. So uh, Molly Gordon is, is just kind of in everything <laughs> now. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but Molly Gordon and uh, like Ayo Adebri just even in, in the last year or for me in the last couple months have just absolutely taken over. Uh, uh, it feels like they've taken the film world by storm. And in this case, Molly Gordon actually uh, co-directs this film. Uh, and this is a blast. This feels like it's a real tribute to the nerdy theater kids. Um, it certainly pokes a little bit of fun, uh, has a, a lot of fun with the fact that a lot of the kids who are attending these theater camps are, are queer or LGBTQ. Uh, I feel like it pokes fun without ever uh, going into uh, malicious territory. It's more of a tribute in the same way that, um, Wes, I don't know if you've seen this film, but uh, are, you aware of are you aware of Galaxy Quest? Oh, um i'm aware of it i have not seen it okay i don't know why this is the main comparison i'm thinking of right now but in the same way that that film is a tribute to, to trekkies while still poking fun at some tropes i felt the same way about theater camp that it's it's having a lot of fun with some of the tropes um but it's never being malicious it's always it's always in good fun and in good taste so um that was a great uh i believe directorial debut from molly gordon um i don't know if either of you have have seen this one uh, oh i de i definitely yeah. have yeah yeah i've seen it i can tell you i can tell you where i have it ranked from my on sure. my list yeah it sure. was at 18 for me out of uh 64 right 60 well it's it, that number is now higher, but the original right. sixty-four. I have not redone my list since re, since mm -hmm. watching so, a few things, but yes, it's currently at eighteen. I'll tell you now; it will probably drop because uh, I haven't updated the list. Fair. I've yeah, I've got it at seventeen out of thirty-four, so kind of middle of, middle of the pack. But uh, I did really like it. I just feel like I didn't watch a lot of bad movies this year. So I have a feeling that it will stay around the same place because I, I really fucking liked it. I was a theater <laughs> kid growing up. Uh, <laughs> uh, like as soon as I tore my ACL and fell out of sports, theater was like the very first thing I was able to turn to. So a lot of the fun that they poke at really, really hit home for me. Nice. And Molly Gordon is like one of my favorite actresses, especially comedic, like one of my favorite comedic actresses. Um, and Ao Edebiri was actually my MVP of last year. I saw because, that. Oh yeah, yeah. And, like definitely respect. That was it was the year of the year of Ao. Yeah, because she uh, had between... two comedies, Bottoms and Peter Camp. She was in two animated films with Spider Verse and TMNT, and then two huge comedic TV shows with The Bear and Abbott Elementary. So like, she's just on fire right now. It's her year. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, I placed it uh, in my list of 32 films that I've seen for 2023. I placed it at number 12, so it wouldn't have made my list, but um, definitely would have been an honorable mention territory. I had so much fun with uh, with Peter Camp. Glad that I finally gave it a go. Quick watch at an hour 32, I think, hour mm -hmm. hour 33, um, and I think that I watched it on uh, Disney. So highly recommend for people looking for a, a easy breezy little comedy. Um, also, I guess shout out to Jimmy Tatro in that movie, who I thought the film was going to be more about. 
uh, <laughs> the the aforementioned broy person. <laughs> uh, he's really funny in kind of a small role, but really the film uh, shines focuses on uh, Molly Gordon's character and her relationship with uh, with those around her. So uh, that is theater camp. Let's see what else I got called up here. Oh, did you give Did you give your rating for theater camp yet? Uh, oh, thank you. I didn't. Uh, I didn't give the rating, but it was a. Uh, it was a four. It was okay. definitely a four. Uh, I just want to pull up my next one uh, on IMDb, which it looks like I neglected to. But this is one that I watched uh, at the Countless Film Society. Uh, I did try to get Manny to come along to this one. He wound up uh, not being able to make it. But uh, Dream Scenario uh, with Nicolas Cage. Uh, so a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. Uh, this is a batshit insane movie starring Nicolas Cage in a batshit insane Nicolas Cage role. So this is this is exactly what the doctor ordered. I knew what I was getting into in that regard. I didn't know anything about the plot. Even that plot synopsis, as far as I'm concerned, is a little bit of a spoiler. Um, I went in almost totally blind, not knowing what to expect from this film. The opening scene is uh, Nicolas Cage standing by a pool. He's skimming a pool, and he's he's in some old-age makeup. He's balding. He's got, I think, a little bit of a fat suit going on, big bushy beard. He's standing by a pool, skimming it, and his daughter is in a deck chair, and uh, I believe she begins floating out of her chair and panicking. And he's just he's just standing there skimming the pool, and he goes, it's okay, sweetie. And that's the opening scene of the movie, and I was, I was gripped right away. I was like, what the fuck is happening in this thing? Um, it is about a man who is a sad sack loser <laughs> who through no fault or effort of his own gets thrust into stardom and wants to capitalize on that stardom uh both uh financially romantically personally he just wants to take it for everything that he's worth but the people around him also want to capitalize on his stardom and begin to latch on him uh he is an otherwise completely unremarkable person, and I have the movie has a lot of fun uh, <laughs> poking fun at his character um, in very malicious ways. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen this. I gave it a four, and it also, much like Theater Camp, it fell just outside my top ten. I have it at number eleven for the year right now. Nice. Yeah, I have not gotten the chance to see this, but it played the trailer played before a bunch of movies um, that I saw and that instantly enticed me. So as soon as I saw that, it shot way up on my anticipated list. So I'm going to try to get it in as soon as possible. Yeah, if anyone out there is a fan of uh, Nicolas Cage and really out there, out there sort of movies and definitely surrealist comedies as well, this this is a movie that ostensibly takes place in the real world. Like it, it takes place in our universe, but uh, fantastical things happen that would never happen in our universe. Um, so uh, they they have some fun with that, but anyway, uh, dream scenario gets uh, gets a four out of five for me. Wicked. Now on to do I have this one pulled up? Yes, I do. Uh, this this is a film that was a second watch for me. Um, I watched it earlier this year, and as I said to Manny in the top ten episode last week, that was probably heard uh, me say this. I watched it in less than favorable circumstances. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, and I didn't have a great chance to to enjoy it to its full uh, to its full powers. So we rewatched Spider-Man across the uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. 
this week. Yay. <laughs> you guys would like that. Uh, Miles, Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. When the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles must redefine what it means to be a hero. These films are apparently... Uh, you, you can look at the form of them and say that they're kids' movies if you want to be that simplistic. Uh, but a delve into them will reveal that these are very mature, very adult movies that are actually horrifying at times. The villain, Spot, is one of the best film villains I have seen maybe ever. He, he's fucking awesome, and he is terrifying. The fact that he goes from a... Uh, a bumbling uh, a bumbling mistake uh, to whatever it is that he turns into uh, is such a great arc and such a great lead into uh, what we're going to see in Beyond the Spider-Verse whenever it is that we get that. Um, I think uh, tentative ETA on Beyond the Spider-Verse is something like 2028 or something like that. Um, I, I'm really not too sure, so I hope we get it sooner than that. But um, I Across the Spider-Verse, as Manny said last week and many others, many others have said as well, just kicks the artwork into another gear. Uh, into the Spider-Verse was already uh, widely acclaimed for its use of art and the comic book style of it. If, <laughs> if Into the Spider-Verse is a, is a comic book come to life, Across the Spider-Verse is a Matisse painting come to life. It, I love... <laughs> the artwork and while a lot of people still compare it to comic book art because there is a lot of inspiration there of course there's so many scenes in this film that are so abstract like where the backgrounds are color changing and they they have a lot of fun they play with the way that light hits people like the opening scene with gwen talking to her father uh the way that she's lit when she walks across different rooms where she's like completely lit in blue a lot of the time is so eye-grabbing and attention-grabbing. I mean, that's just in the first scene. Uh, there, there, it goes on and on and on and on. And then, of course, there's a fight with the vulture, which is visually striking. Like, everything, the attention to detail paid of every single frame in this film is uh, is outstanding, and it's no wonder it takes them way too long to make one of these things, because every single pixel and every single frame is accounted for. Um, I was in awe of the visuals of Spider-Verse, and I... Uh, I was in love with the villain. I'm in love with Miles Morales, the character. Uh, all the characters in this film are so deep and so moving and have such wonderful arcs. I cannot wait to see how this concludes. Uh, even though it doesn't have its own standalone conclusion to the story, I still give it a five because it oh, floored yes. me. It absolutely fucking floored me top to bottom. Um, and I cannot wait to revisit this. It's, it's an outstanding film. Uh, I did... Uh, <laughs> Do you want me to give my rankings for all these, or do you want me to leave them for my, for my updated, uh, updated list when we get there? I did I'm, give. I'm, I'm actually good. I'm, I'm good either way. I would love to know, but if you want to yeah. keep it a secret, that's fine. But I'm, no, fuck it. I'm dying I'll, to know. I'll I'm just, dying to I'll, know. I'm dying to know. I'll, I'll just tell you because I, I am gonna continually update. It, it's yep. gonna be, it's gonna be very close leading up to 2000. Uh, when we get to the Oscars and we redo our top tens or we give our updated top tens, um, I currently have it fourth. That's sandwiched right between 
uh, Killers of the Flower Moon and Barbie. Uh, I have it. I have it right in there. So past lives holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon uh, across the Spider Verse is where I have it in my top ten. Uh, you guys have anything you want to add on uh, on Spider Verse? <laughs> Another hour's worth, sure. But no, uh, I'm so glad you finally got to watch it uh, the way you should have been able to, uh, which is in a chance to actually sit down and enjoy the film. And it makes me so happy to hear that you enjoyed it as much as I kind of assumed that you would. Uh, so when, when, when it didn't make your list initially, I was kind of dumbfounded. Uh, but then when you revealed the less than ideal watching conditions, uh, it made sense. And so you're revisiting it. And I, I actually forgotten that you posted that you were rewatching it. Uh, so this discussion is making me a happy boy, happy, happy boy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm stoked. I was, uh, I had the biggest smile on my face when last episode, when you revealed that past lives was your number one of the year. And then this is just adding on to that happiness, knowing that it's, it's jolted its way up there. Cause this is just one masterpiece of a movie, in my opinion, masterpiece of a series. If they managed to stick the landing, um, I knew when I saw this in the theater that it was going to remain as my number one of the year. I just, just 100% knew that there was going to be nothing could, that could live up to it or that could match it, and I was right. Um, it was by far my favorite theater experience and watching experience of the year. I know a lot of people were a bit upset with the cliffhanger ending. Personally, I was not bothered by it in the slightest a because i went in knowing that there was going to be a cliffhanger so maybe expecting it helped a little bit but also one of my favorite comic book lines ever um which is is a trilogy it's the kick-ass comics the movies there was only two but the comics there was three and the second one ends the exact same way as across the spider-verse ends with one of the characters being locked in jail and then the team of the rest of the characters setting up to go rescue them and that's how the third comic begins so i wouldn't be surprised if they i don't want to say stole but if they borrowed that um sort of uh template from kick-ass or if kick-ass borrowed that from a previous marvel comic because i haven't read a lot of comics myself but being used to that structure um, and having seen that before in one of my favorite comic book lines of all time, it didn't bug me. Um, the visuals, like you said, were outstanding. I love the use of the kind of expressionism and abstract coloring throughout the entire thing and the way that the colors uh, reinforce uh, what the characters are going through, what their emotions, uh, where their emotions are at. I just I just thought it was wonderful all across the board. I, I can't keep enough praise on it. So glad that you liked it on this on this rewatch. Me too. Awesome. Very right. very much so. Uh, are you stopping at three? Or you got another one there, champ. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a, a fourth one. Uh, because Beautiful. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that Wes really likes this film. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is in Wes's top twenty of all time. <laughs> Look at Wes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I could be mistaken. I, I'm like literally just going off memory here. But uh, crazy stupid love. Oh. Yeah, okay. It's not in my top 20 of all time, but I just watched it, and I, I oh, love it. Oh, yeah, okay. I think, okay. I think you're thinking of Kyle. I think it's in Kyle's. Oh, true. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fair. Uh, crazy Stupid Love. A middle-aged husband's life uh, changes dramatically when his wife asks him for a divorce. He seeks to rediscover his manhood with the help of a newfound friend, Jacob, learning to pick up girls at bars. This movie could have been really bad. It could have been really misogynist. It could have been really cliche. It could have been a lot of things. But instead, 
what I like about this movie is that the men don't define, they, they wind up not defining their manhood in terms of women, which is kind of what it leads. It seems like it's going that direction for some of the runtime. Um, but they end up, it, it more so winds up being about uh, discovering who they are by themselves rather than defining themselves by the, the people that they're with. Uh, and I really like the direction that it takes. Uh, there is one very chaotic scene at a, it's called a picnic or like a backyard barbecue or, or whatever it is. There's one just absolutely bad shit insane scene at a, at a barbecue, which completely goes off the rails and is tons of fun. Uh, there's aspects of the film I like, aspects I don't like. I think that um, the subplot of the the young or the son who's 13 being in love with the babysitter, while I don't like have a problem with it or, or anything, it just doesn't. It, it it's not good for a lot of laughs. I, it tended to not really hold my interest for for most of the runtime of the film. Although the uh, the interaction between them is kind of necessary for a lot of the payoff towards the back half. So it's necessary. I just don't necessarily enjoy its inclusion in the movie all the time. Uh, but the the best scenes in the film for me are uh, Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling being to bounce, being able to bounce off each other. They have such excellent comedic chemistry. We have uh, two very gifted comedic actors, and Ryan Gosling just born to roll the charming womanizer, <laughs> the charge, the charming wisecracking womanizer. This is the, absolutely the role he was he was born to play. And Steve Carell as the uh, bumbling but ultimately lovable loser father. Uh, trying to rediscover himself after uh, after being t- uh, told that he's going to be getting a divorce. Uh, there's so much to like in this movie. It's not perfect, but it's arguably one of the best versions of what it is, which is uh, which is a cute romantic comedy. Um, and I, I give it a four. It's a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, I watched this the first time for the first time like about a month ago when I was in Australia over winter break. My brother really really loves this movie. It's one of his favorites of all time. And I just, yeah, I love throughout the entire thing how it's able to weave all of the characters together, all of the little subplots together. And probably one of my favorite crescendos and plot twists in a movie ever, which is like the picnic barbecue scene that you're talking about. My most, like, the one moment that got the biggest laugh for me is just such a little, like, subtle moment. And it's near the end when a police officer is is talking to the family is talking to all the characters and he just says let's keep it in the family and ryan gosling just gives out the tiniest little (laughs) just the tiniest little squeak and i was dying it was so i i don't know if subtle is the right word but it was just so like it's not over the top at all but just him throughout this whole movie i absolutely loved i've always told people that like that I like Ryan Gosling, but he's never been one of my favorite actors. But the more that I watch him in this last year, I watched La La Land, Barbie, and Crazy Stupid Love all for the first time. And in all, in all of them, he just absolutely stole the show for me. So I think that's going to rectify pretty soon. And he's definitely climbing uh, to become one of my favorites. And yeah, this this movie was hilarious. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie as well. I think Gosling is absolutely spectacular in this movie. Uh, f- flat out, when he takes his shirt off in that Emma Stone scene, I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, and I'm a straight man. I was like, holy sweet Jesus. Um, he is so funny in this movie. He is so sure of himself. He has incredible chemistry both with Emma Stone and with Steve Carell. The movie is an absolute blast to watch i i've i 
can't remember how I stumbled across this movie because I th- I think it did okay at the box office, but I think somebody recommended it to me and I I watched it and it was just blown away. It's a movie that I will easily watch over and over again. I think it's an absolute blast. If nobody's seen Crazy Stupid Love, do yourself a favor and give it a watch. It is a fucking blast of a film. Uh, did 145 at the box office. I okay. take it that uh, uh, is that domestic? I, I don't really. I'm not really familiar with box office numbers all too much. I don't. I don't think that could be domestic, but I'll find out. Yeah. Uh, what year is that? Sorry. What year was it released? Oh, 2011. 2011. Okay. Uh, Wes, why don't you tell us about your movies that you watched? Ooh. Okay. So I have four to get through as well that I've watched in about the last week or so. Uh, the first one that I'm going to start out with is the 1958 uh, like mystery romance movie, Vertigo. Nice! Uh, by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, this has like long been a critical darling. I believe it made number one on the 2012 Sight and Sound list. Um, and it's the third Hitchcock movie I've watched besides Psycho and Rear Window, which I think are kind of considered his big three. Um, and I had an absolute blast with this film. Um, I mean, I don't even need to say it. Technically, it is it is near perfect. The cinematography, uh, lots of the mise-en-scene, great uses of greens and reds throughout the entire thing. Um, the music, I've, I was long warned that this is one of the greatest scores of all time, and I easily see why. It is so dazzling. Um, for that reason alone, Sam, I would recommend that you watch this movie just for the score. Um, yeah. But everything about else about it is is so well done. It's a great movie about obsession and perfectionism and the male gaze and all of this these different themes that it's balancing. Um, I've been on a bit of a James Stewart kick. I think I've watched like a good like four or five James Stewart movies in the last uh, like couple weeks or so, and he's also quickly climbing uh, to be one of my favorite actors. Um, in this one, it's really, really great because he doesn't play a good man, but he doesn't necessarily play a bad man either. The thing about this character is he's playing a weak man. He's playing a man that is able to be controlled by the people around him. Um, and in turn, as the movie goes along, he attempts to control the people around him out of his insecurities. And I just think that James Stewart plays it off so perfectly. Um, and honestly, I think this might be one of the most vital watching experiences that I've ever had in terms of this may have just changed how I experience, how I watch and what I expect from movies going forward. When I sent that message in the group chat saying that there was one aspect of this movie looking back from modern standards that I'm not sure if I was fully on board with, I didn't mean that from like a social perspective. Like, there is definitely some creepy things that goes on in this movie, but I think they would be creepy even for the standards of the late 50s and early 60s. For me, it was more of a narrative structural choice. There's a part in the movie. I, I want to talk about this carefully because I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but there's basically a part in the movie where one of the characters absolutely just spoils the last 15 minutes of the movie. And when that came on, I was like, what the fuck? What, what is this? What, what are we supposed to do with the remaining 20 minutes that we have to watch this? And 
I, I, I wasn't sure if I was fully on board with it, but at talking to some friends who had seen it um, uh, numerous times, I talked to them after the movie and they explained how Hitchcock is, he, he prioritizes suspense over surprise. So he doesn't care if the audience already knows what's going to happen. Because what, what I'm used to is the audience figuring out uh, things as the the main character figures it out. But in this, it, it's absolutely backwards. He reveals it to the audience, and then you get to watch the main character figure out what's happening. And it builds up so much suspense. So I absolutely get what they're saying there. There's a, there's a really good quote from Hitchcock where he says, a bomb under a table isn't suspenseful unless you know that there's a bomb under a table. Have you guys heard this? Quote I, yeah, I have. It's, it's, it's like one of his most famous, famous quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't heard that before. And the way my friend explained it to me, I was like, holy shit, that actually makes so much sense. So I think on another watch, I'll be on board with what happens in that scene. But at the moment, I was it just completely threw me off and I, I didn't know what to think of it. So if you guys do get the chance to watch it, I will be really intrigued. I hope you'll be able to recognize what, what scene it is I'm talking about when you do see it. But yeah, I, I highly recommend, um, it was a great movie and it got an instant five for me. Love nice. It. Love it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see, uh, what Hitchcock I've seen. First of all, I think it is just psycho rear window and strangers on a train. We did strangers on a train uh, for the podcast. Oh, nice. Uh, and yeah, I think that's it. I definitely did just add vertigo to my list. I was surprised it wasn't on there. The birds is another one that gets uh, a lot of hype. Uh, Wes, I don't have anything to add on the movie because I haven't seen it. And I definitely will. I know it's reputation. All I'm going to add is, uh, if you're on a Jimmy Stewart watching uh, <laughs> i knew it was coming i knew it was coming <laughs> manny knew it was coming. you might even know it's coming uh watch harvey harvey from 1950 with jimmy Stewart. it's it's incredible i i okay. loved it loved it loved it loved it i don't i mean i say i haven't heard of it but chances are if it's critically acclaimed it's on my watch list honestly uh, like it's one of those movies where i was kind of expecting to watch it and like pick up on things that have been referenced to it i honestly i don't think it has as much of a cultural footprint let's say as i would have expected it to um it does get referenced every now and again though i remember um manny and i were watching i think field of dreams and it like pop there's a reference to it that pops up but like nice um she's the, yeah it's the daughter's watching it yeah yeah the daughter's watching oh. it. okay yeah I, i'll keep that in mind I, for those of you wondering it is already in my watch list even though yeah. I <laughs> it probably popped up on some list uh somewhere out there um, cause I went through, I added like IMDB, the AFI, the sight and sound, the 500 films to see before you die. And I just added like the whole swath to my watch list. So not surprised it's on there. It must've slipped my mind, but, um, now that you bring it up, I'll, uh, I'll do my best to, to give it a go. Awesome. Yeah. It's remarkably, remarkably wholesome. Good. Yeah. That's, that's what we expect from James Stewart at this point. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was Vertigo. Um, had a really good time with that. Uh, moving on to another renowned director, considered one of the greatest of all time. Um, on Sunday, I got around to watch doing a second watch of the movie Mulholland Drive from 2001, starring Naomi Watts. Um, let me just see if I can get a little plot synopsis. 
Blonde Betty Elms has only just arrived in Hollywood to become a movie star when she meets an enigmatic brunette with amnesia. Meanwhile, as the two set off to solve the second woman's identity, filmmaker Adam Kesher runs into ominous trouble while casting his latest project. Uh, This was only the second David Lynch movie I've seen after Eraserhead, so I don't have a huge experience with with this director, but... All of his films, uh, including these two, and from what I've heard of the other ones, they're just super out there, super hard to grasp, very abstract. Um, a lot of them follow dream logic, and they rely on your instincts rather than on your um, ability to dissect a narrative. Um, so it, it doesn't spill things out for you plainly. You really have to, you really have to uh, almost feel things out. Um, as the movie goes along, he's really he really prioritizes affect over narrative uh, cohesion or telling like a linear story. Um, but I still had an amazing time with this, especially watching it a second time, being able to unpack it more. Honestly, I feel like this is one of those movies that you have to watch like five, six, seven times if you want to get a full grasp on what he's trying to do. Um but I still thought it was amazing. Uh, the camera has almost this kind of like hazy, fuzzy look over to it, over the lens to it, um, accompanied by a very angelic score. Um, so it gives it gives it almost like a like a very ominous, very spiritual feel to the whole movie. Um, and it really comes across as a dream, which is what I think he's going for. One of the boldest narrative um, structural choices I've ever seen in a movie where the first two thirds uh, follow a linear storyline, but then people have interpreted it as that's the part that's a dream. And then the final third follows dream logic and is scattered all over the place, but that's the part that actually takes place in real life. So the way that David Lynch does it, he does it absolutely backwards, but uh, the way he does it, I just thought was astounding. Um, Naomi Watts was really, really good in this. Um, the acting between her and the supporting actress, who is Laura Haring, their relationship is very campy. It's very over the top. Uh, it, the, the film almost, almost has like a very soap, soap opera vibe to it um, in the way that their relationship is explored, but it works perfectly for what the movie's trying to do um and yeah i just had a i had a really great time with this i i see myself revisiting this over and over again to try to unpack more and see more if i'm going to be honest this is not a movie that i believe manny will connect to (laughs) similar to when i texted you and said whatever you do don't watch bo is afraid this is kind of like (laughs) in that same vein Except this time, I do recommend you watch it just because of how important it is among critics and in film history. Um, But yeah, it's just a very, very surreal, very artsy, super out there film. Uh, But one that I really loved, and I gave it a five out of five. Holy shit. Oh, wow. Honestly, I wasn't expecting that. It's gone up from a four on my first watch. And I think the more I watch it, the more I'm going to like it. It's always always interesting to me. Uh, I had two people watch this film this week, which was which was super. Uh, for for my brother, uh, my brother it was his first watch. I think he gave it uh, a four, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, um, it's it's always funny to me when unrelated people uh, wind up watching things. It feels like it's the universe trying to tell me to watch something. 
No, we planned that. We were, we were. <laughs> oh yeah. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I, think, I think Chards really likes this movie as well. This mm-hmm. is on my tentative watch list. Uh, mm-hmm. I know when I get to 2001, I'll be watching it for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I've only wa- I've only seen one David Lynch film, and it is I think universally his worst, and it's the original Dune. Well, not the original Dune, but uh, horrible. But I don't blame Lynch for that. It's just he's trying to cram too much into too little. So uh, I, I've never held that against him. Dune, uh, that, that movie itself, from what I can recall, is fine for what it is. But mm-hmm. uh, interviews with Lynch, everything I've heard about his films leads me to believe he's just not a filmmaker that I would connect with. Uh, but this is probably the only film in his filmography that I actively do want to see because I've heard mm-hmm. such great things about it. And I heard that it's not quite as out there as the rest of his filmography. So uh, actually I wouldn't mind watching the elephant man as well. I know technically I have seen the elephant man, but I saw it around the time it came out in I think 1980 or 82. So I barely 80. 80? Yeah. So I would have, I would have seen it when it hit home video shortly after. So I only would have been like seven or eight years old. I, I think my parents rented it. I have no recollection. I shouldn't say no recollection. Mm-hmm. I have like 2% recollection of that film. So technically I can say I, I've seen it, but I remember nothing. So I don't really count it. Um, but Dune I have seen. So I, I just think. Did you say that you've heard Mulholland Drive is not one of his most out there films? That it's not as out there as the rest of his films. Wow. That, that worries it... me. <laughs> that worries me yeah that that's that's my understanding it's i i, I could totally be wrong but that's my understanding is that Mulholland drive is not as out there as the rest of his films and from, so from what people have told me from my understanding i've heard that blue velvet is his most accessible i've um and like far-reaching but uh I, that that's probably not saying a lot. I'm I'm sure it's is just as weird and out there as Mulholland Drive. But yeah, I'm sure. If there's if there was one other one that I would say maybe give it a chance because I want to give it a chance too. I would I would say Blue Velvet. Yeah, I tried to. Uh, I want to watch Wild at Heart, but I I couldn't get I couldn't get my hands on it. The only way I could get it was to buy it, and I wasn't willing able. I wasn't willing to. Uh, <laughs> uh, worth worth noting as well. I mean, all of his top uh, five six movies have very very high uh, letterbox scores mm-hmm. uh, audience scores uh twin peaks uh, has a 4.6 yeah. so that uh, that i've heard is is excellent yeah the, i'm, I, I'm a, and sorry i didn't mean to cut you off wes uh the the thing with the 4.6 on on that is i don't quite hold that rating the same way as i do as others as mm. somebody twin peaks isn't um it's not easily accessible. An average person isn't going to watch the Twin Peaks movie. Mm-hmm. If right. you're a, you're fa- if you're a fan of the show, then you're going to watch it, and most likely you're going to like it. So mm-hmm. it's it's not. Uh, Have you seen it, Manny? No, I I watched a couple episodes of the Twin Peaks show. Yeah. When, when it came out, which is what ni- late eighties, early nineties. Early nineties, I think like ninety, ninety one, ninety two, somewhere around there, and then he released a movie in the mid nineties and then came back 20 years later and did the third season in 2017. Yeah. So. Uh, Twin Peaks was 89 to 91. I-, I watched one or two episodes, but again, I'm like 14, 15 wasn't for me. And I just never revisited Fair. it. 
I, I've heard nothing but great things about it. Yeah. But it, it, I think I, I think it just put a, a bad taste in my mouth being a, a young teenager unable to fully grasp what he was trying to get right. across. That's fair. I do know a couple people that say that Twin Peaks is their favorite show of all time. Um, the way that it's been described to me and the way that people have said it is that Twin Peaks walked so that Sopranos could run. Yes. As Twin Peaks was like the first TV show to switch from the episodic nature where it's one complete story and almost repetitive on on every episode where the characters are following kind of the same story beats. Whereas Twin Peaks, the episode finishes and the next one just picks up where the last one uh, left off, kind of like a continuous movie. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Sopranos carried that same template and then pretty much all drama TV shows uh, um, since then have followed suit. So that's what makes me really want to check it out is just because of how influential that mm -hmm. I've heard it is. Totally. Um, and the people that I know um, in my life that have it regarded in, in very high praise. So, yeah, he's a filmmaker. I'm definitely excited to explore more and, and see if he's for me. Sweet. But, yeah, Mulholland Drive, um, definitely worth checking out, I would say. Um, my next one that I have has not been seen by anyone on my friends list on Letterboxd, and there's only one person that I'm friends with that has it in their watch list, and that one person is Sam. And this is the 1983 Disney movie, Never Cry Wolf. Oh, I've seen it. Oh, you have seen it. Oh, you just don't have it logged on Letterboxd, do you? I saw it in theaters, my friend. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, directed by Carol Ballard and starring Charles Martin Smith. Funny enough, the director of Airbud and Snow Walker. That's right. <laughs> uh, this movie, the plot synopsis says, a scientific researcher sent on a government study, the Lupus Project, must investigate the possible menace of wolves in the north. To do so, he must survive in the wilderness for six months on his own. In the course of these events, he learns about the true beneficial and positive nature of the wolf species, based on the book and true story by Farley Moat. Um, when this was released in 1983, um, Ebert and Siskel both gave it a thumbs up um, and they claimed it as the greatest movie ever filmed with animals. And honestly, it's clear to see why I didn't do much reading into how they got like how they shot all the scenes with the numerous animals um, and the wolves and the caribou and the mice. But the way that the film utilizes animals throughout the whole thing is so breathtaking the cinematography is outstanding. It's gorgeous, uh, both of the landscape, but especially of all the animals um, running around, prancing around, especially the wolves playing with their cubs, playing with each other, fighting, just the shots that they were able to get. I don't know how they were able to do it, but I know it wasn't CGI at this time. No, not uh, a chance. It was absolutely um, outstanding. Um, so yeah, it's essentially about this guy who's forced to go to the Ar Arctic alone to figure out why all the caribou have disappeared. Um, and in order to do this, he conducts a bunch of experiments. He lives on the Arctic in his own. Uh, honestly, some of the most fun that I had in the movie was in the very beginning where he and how he actually gets out to the Arctic. Uh, there's numerous moments where I was burst out laughing in just some little subtle moments that if you're paying attention, um, 
they'll really get you. Like he has like 20 wooden crates with him that is full of all of his stuff that are impossible for him to move. And it's just chucked off the plane with him. And he has to figure out a way to get it to wherever he's going to set up camp. And he also brought a canoe full of 24 cases of beer that he strapped to the bottom of the plane and let go uh, when he lands down. Uh, there's also a shot of the pilot that drops him off, throwing a crate of his food off that says, do not freeze. And then it just lands directly on the ice. Um, <laughs> so just like so many little moments like that um, were hilarious um, and had me laughing. And then the journey that he goes on and the transformation that he goes on and um, what he discovers about himself and about the nature of animals and the way that his perspective changes on the world i thought it was thoroughly entertaining um these are very very different movies but um kind of similar to the northman where it it touches on the boundaries crossed between man and animal and uh how how close man can attempt to get to becoming animal there's some really interesting themes there that are explored throughout the whole thing um so yeah, I had a really good time with this. I don't think Disney makes movies like this anymore, like live action movies directly tailored to adults, but I wish that they did. Um, I guess they own Searchlight, so you could count that. But um, yeah, I, I I thought I, I had an absolute blast with this movie um, and I gave it a four out of five. How did this get on your radar? It was my dad's choice Okay, last night. When yeah. you when you post that picture, I actually meant to message. I'm like, how the fuck did you get this movie? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah my recollection my uh, my recollection. I've only seen it the one time, and that was in theaters when it came out. And uh, I have a very very slight memory of it. The part the uh, I'm sure it's probably not a huge spoiler, and my recollections of it is pretty thin. But I'm pretty sure there's a scene where he's hiding under his canoe from the wolves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That that it's, is it's in the beginning. Yeah, that is that stayed with me for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But other yeah. than that, I don't remember it. Um, that act, I'm sorry, the actor's name is Charles Martin Smith, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. For me, uh, he's in a movie that I fucking love called The Untouchables. And whenever I see him, that's the movie I think of is him, is, is The Untouchables. But I do remember this movie. I do remember thinking highly of it as a very young boy. Uh, I I'd love to revisit it. I'm, I was, it just made me so happy to see you visit such an older film. It, I was awesome. it was awesome. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. No, I was stoked. Uh, the main actor, he seems to have a thing with – animals and humans and like their behavioral relationship because pretty much all of the movies that he's directed have something to do with animals or with man the relationship between man and animals so listen to this he's done airbud dolphin tail a dog's way home dolphin tail 2 <laughs> the snow walker which uh i have not seen but there is a lot of animals on the cover I, you got did you end up watching that for the yeah, movie, movie club yeah, well, I did. I don't think Sam did. No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, is... The snow, the Snowwalker is Canadian Castaway. That's what it is. Ah, cool. Yep. I like the sound of that. Uh, and then the last one is, it looks like a Hallmark movie from 2020 called A Christmas Gift from Bob. And it's uh, the poster is a guy with a guitar and a cat sitting on his shoulder. So I'm assuming <laughs> it explores some type of relationship with the cat and the dude. 
Um, yeah, I just find that really interesting. He seems very passionate about animals and animals and humans interacting. And honestly, I respect it. So awesome. Yeah, it was never cry yeah. wolf. The, uh, the only reason that this is on my radar in the first place, you mentioned that it is on my watch list already. Uh, this is the favorite movie of one of my coworkers. Uh, one of my one of my oh, coworkers. Nice. He, yeah, uh, he said uh, he's he's in his 50s, I think. And he says he loves this movie. Uh, always has. He's also a very big fan of um, jazz and electronic music. Uh, and uh, the composer for this film, Mark Isham, is one of his favorites uh, in that arena. So I think all of that kind of combined uh, led him to recommend it to me, and I, I added it to my watch list because he uh, he gave it a pretty solid pitch, and uh, as yeah. did you. Yeah, sweet. No, I, I definitely recommend that. Check it out. I, it should be on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, uh, we it, should, it should be. I, I would assume it is. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Look at, the, now... look at the smile on his face. Look at the smile on his face. <laughs> on to my fourth movie. So there was a day, a long, long, far away time ago, when we were our society was in our collective depressive era of COVID nineteen. This was about March twenty twenty one, and I came on for a little episode named for a movie named Seven, starring <laughs> and Morgan Freeman. And in said episode, we did said section called "What We've Been Watching." Don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, and there was a specific movie that I believe it was Sam that had watched it that week, but both of you had seen it and told me to watch it and I'd never gotten around to it. But for some reason, it just stuck in my mind as one that I desperately needed to check out. Do you guys have any idea what that movie could be? No clue, but no I'm, clue. So, I'm so happy idea. right now. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> the 2016 stop motion animated film kubo and the two strings oh nice. Fuck yes cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I just remember you guys being like you should really check this out i don't know if you were like super emphatic about it but for some reason that recommendation just really stuck with me so i watched it today um because i slept in past my class and i was able to stay home <laughs> um but um yeah i had an absolute blast with this movie uh, seeing stop motion um a movie that uses stop motion on this big of a scale was honestly mind-blowing and something that i'd never seen before fantastic mr fox is one of my favorite movies of all time but i can just tell by watching that movie that it's a lot it's a lot smaller than what they're trying to achieve here and you can just tell how much the medium has has come, how far it has come with how seamless it is. Uh, I honestly had to look up whether or not it was stop motion. I thought it was just regular like 2D animation. I couldn't really tell. So that's how you know that the stop motion in the movie is fantastic. Um, I haven't seen Del Toro's Pinocchio yet, but um, this movie has made me want to watch it more if this is the direction that stop motion animation is going. Um, uh, yeah, that was, it's easy to say, but that was easily the biggest highlight of the movie for me. Um, the other one, the standout for me performance-wise was definitely Matthew McConaughey as the <laughs> His character was hilarious, um, easily my favorite. Um, and it honestly, it seemed to go against like the traditional type of character that McConaughey plays. Um, I don't know, like I just haven't seen McConaughey like as this like so upbeat and so goofy and so fun and just overall like his character got the most laughs from me i thought 
I thought he was really wonderful uh, throughout the whole thing. Yeah, he tends to be more of like a burnout type character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it, it honestly took a second for it to register that it was actually him. Um, but then once I knew that was Matthew McConaughey, I, I was stoked because he's one of my favorite actors. Um, I also loved seeing Ray Fiennes back in a villain role as the grandpa in this movie. Um, I haven't seen Schindler's List yet. Very high on the watch list. I know he's the villain in that movie, right? Yeah, and For... he's spec- and he's fucking spectacular. Yeah. Um, what is he? Is he a villain in anything else that you've seen? Oh, just a little, just a little <laughs> independent series you might have heard of called Harry Potter. Yeah, um, never heard of it. As the man who shall not be named, Voldemort. Um, oh, you've done, you done it. Oh shit! Oh shit! He's on his way. Uh, there's definitely some moments uh, where it felt like he emulated his role as Voldemort. Um, the very like nasally and whispery voice at times, and a super menacing laugh. Um, yeah, it just seems that whenever he's placed in the role of a villain, he just stands out so much. Um, I hope that doesn't say anything about him as a person, but uh, he really seems to stand out. Also, in Bruges is another one. I guess he could be considered the villain there. Um, he has the funniest scene in that entire movie. Um, but yeah, uh, that was great to see him. Uh, Charlize Theron obviously doing her thing. I shot, thought she... Uh, uh, she was picked perfectly for this movie. There's a little giddy smile that just came across Manny's face. Um, I don't have much of an experience with her. Uh, I'm just going to check my letterbox really quickly. But the only other two movies that I've seen uh, are three. Well, I guess four now. Kubo and the and the Two Strings. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Which That's is a cameo. Yeah, just a cameo. Mad Max Fury Road, which okay. you guys already know my thoughts on that. Um, and then Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, my God. You haven't watched any of her movies. Yeah, no, I really haven't watched any. Um, is there any that you think I should shoot to the top of my watch list that are from her? Well, if you want to see her best performance, it's Monster, which she won the Academy Award for. Okay. Uh, if you want something fun, a movie that I really enjoyed from a couple of years ago is called The Old Guard. Okay. Uh, but I probably guess if you want something, are you a John Wick fan? Uh, I wouldn't say a fan, but I enjoy them. Okay, yeah. then Atomic Blonde is the other one. I thought that's what you were gonna say. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, because I know that you you hold her in very high praise, and I just don't really have much experience with her. But she was great in this movie. Oh, um, Bombshell, but... Bombshell, that's another one. Right. Oh, that has been on my my watch list for for quite a while, just because. It stars one of uh, my girlfriends, Margot Robbie. Yep. So anything that she's in uh, gets shot instantly to the top. Um, but yeah, Kuba and the Two Strings. Also, the music was epic throughout the entire thing. Uh, the score that accompanied it, accompanied it um, I thought was really standout. And yeah, thank you guys for the recommendation. I thought it was a blast, and I gave it a four out of five. Love it. I'm, I totally wasn't sure where you were going with that. Um, to put it into perspective for you, like I, I did very much enjoy this movie. I probably haven't really thought about it since since talking about it with you on Seven. But I I remember thinking this is just a gorgeous movie to look at in particular. Like in particular, the animation is just gorgeous. Um, I told Manny this. You may have heard me say it as well. Um, when I was in Seattle last, I went to the uh, Museum of Pop Culture, and they had a t- they had a temporary Leica exhibit, and I 
begged my siblings who were with me. I'm like, guys, we gotta go, we gotta go see this extra exhibit. But we had we had a concert to get to, and oh, okay. uh, we were running way behind. And they were like, no, nah, we, we gotta make it. We're gonna miss uh, gonna miss one of the acts if we if we stay behind. And granted, all of the acts were awesome, but I was so I was so bummed. I was like, right there at the yeah. like exhibit because they're they're fantastic work. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. That's it for me. Okay. Uh, those are the that I watched. So right. I guess we're I'll, moving on to Manny. Yeah, I got. Uh, I'll I'll go through mine uh, as quickly as I can. Uh, the first movie was one that popped up on Netflix, and in all honesty, the only reason I watched it is because a few weeks ago I watched a movie that completely took me by surprise called The Gangster, The Cop, and The Devil. And this is a, a new movie starring the same uh, main star. I think we we call him. I think we call him Donnie Lee here, but his real name, and I'm gonna I'm gonna totally fucking butcher it. Uh, Mei Dong Suk is his name. Uh, the movie is Badland Hunters. When an earthquake turns Seoul into a lawless Badland, a fearless huntsman goes on to rescue a teenager from a mad doctor who held the teenager captive in a camp full of dangerous cultists. This was just a fucking lot of fun. I won't lie. Like start start to finish, I had a great time. It is just an action film set in a post-apocalyptic world uh with uh Mei Dong Suk as the lead or co-lead depending on how you want to look at. Nice no, lead. He is just a complete fucking badass and it was so much fun watching him kick a bunch of ass, throw down some witty one-liners, watch some violence and have a really great time for just under two hours. Uh, there's not really much to talk about in regards to the movie itself. It is a lot of fun to watch. If you are okay with subtitles in your action films, uh, I'd recommend checking it out. It's it's just a, another, you're, you're basically your standard post-apocalyptic movie. It doesn't offer anything new that you haven't seen before, but what it does is, oh, Don Lee there, I'm, the trailers playing on the background as I go, we call him Don Lee here in North America. He is 100% an actor that I'm going to try to probably start picking up some of his filmography. He did, I think he played the character Gilgamesh in the Eternals. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I actually didn't make that connection until recently, but uh, while I had a great time with Badland Hunters, I gave it a four out of five because I had such a great time. If you're looking for a good movie, I am going to promote it again. The Gangster, the Cop, and the Devil. Fucking amazing. Another movie of his. Um, so the only one that I've seen of his on Letterboxd is Eternals. But uh, Train to Busan has been on my watch list for a long time. Same. I can't remember, can't remember why I added it. it. Might have been a Manny recommendation. Might have been something else. I'm not sure. I haven't but, seen uh, it, but I've heard nothing but great things. Yeah, I've heard it's excellent. So that's, that's on, uh, it's on my watch list. And probably on Wes's too. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I also, yeah, I the only experience I have with that actor is Madong Sok. That's his. That's his actual name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eternals, which is honestly a movie that I like more than most people do. I had I'm, a great time. With I'm Eternals. with you. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, uh, I thought Eternals was awesome. Um, but I'm I, also very backwards <laughs> on Phase Four of Marvel. The ones that people seem to really like. I don't like as much. And then the ones that people seem to hate, I like more. So I don't really know what's going on there, but funny. I, uh, I I was just looking while we were talking about this actor, I 
pulled up Eternals because it was uh, the only film of his that I'd seen. And I saw that I rated it a three and instantly the thought that went to my head, I was like, oh, that's too high. It's a two for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that movie. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful to look at because it's directed by Chloe Zhao. It's the, one of the best looking MCU movies, but I, I didn't care for it. I can't. I'm very looking forward to rewatching it. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's, that's Bad Lad Hunters, four out of five for me. Uh, the next movie I watched is a movie that was never on my radar, and the only reason I watched it is it got a Best Cinematography nomination this year. Uh, that is the movie El Conde. Uh, after living 250 years in this world, Augusto Pinochet, who is not dead, but an aged vampire, decides to die once and for all. Uh, I went into this 100% blind. I went in and watched this without even knowing what the movie was about. I just had some time to kill. I'm like, I want to get a 2023 Oscar nominee out of the way. This is on Netflix. Let's take a look. And let me tell you this. The cinematography nomination is 100% worth it. This film is fucking gorgeous. Gorgeous. But it is fucking hilarious. I was laughing so much. It took me by complete surprise. I also want to say this. I didn't say it in the chat, but I think within the first five minutes, there is an incredibly violent scene that I did not see coming that does not stop when you want it to, and the violence escalates to a point where I was covering my eyes with my hands. It was <laughs> disturbing to watch. Um, the movie, uh, is about, uh, Augusto Pinochet, what is, is a name I know, but I don't know who he is. I know he is a historical figure. I'm pretty sure he was accused of being a Nazi or is a Nazi who came over. Uh, I can't quite remember. I could look into it, but he, in this movie, he is, he has German ties and he has been alive this long, uh, living as a vampire. And the movie, he has children who are not vampires, but they know he's a vampire. And he has decided that he is ready to die. And so his family's trying to uh, ease him into the final moments of his life while also wondering what, who's going to get all of his money. And it is a lot of fun. I had a really great time. I hope some of you others... Uh, and some of the PFGs will check this out at some point because it is incredibly dark and incredibly humorous and absolutely breathtaking to look at. There is a scene where um, somebody flies and it hit me so deeply emotionally uh, I was unprepared for it. Because it was the exact. Uh, I don't. I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you, Sam. Definitely not to you, Wes, because we don't talk as often. I. I sometimes have, as a lot of people do. I have dreams of flight. I have in my. I have dreams where I can fly, but my flight isn't like Superman. It's almost like this floating kind of thing where I can just kind of will myself forward a little bit, and then I just kind of hover lightly, and then I can mm. kind of will myself again. But if there's like a strong gust of wind, it will kind of it will kind of move me along. It is very very light, and it's it, they are easily some of my favorite dreams I have. They fill me with this joy and this passion, honestly, like this this passion for life that just almost reinvigorates me. 
And That's so cool. This movie is a visual representation of that. And it completely caught me off guard and left me in tears. Because I, wow. I they literally show on screen the way I felt in my dreams. And it was amazing. I had a really great time with this movie. Uh, I gave it a four out of five. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have eight other people on my letterbox that have logged and watched this. And so far, you're the one that has given it the highest score. It's only sitting at a 3.2. Um, but with the way that you're praising it and your recommendation, uh, it's definitely it's definitely shot up there for one that I want to check out. I, th I think my rating is so high because of I went in with no expectations and the humor really got to me. The cinematography was breathtaking and that flying scene just mm. took me to another level. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. If someone gave it a, like, I'm not going to argue it. Like it's definitely not a three. I hundred percent. If somebody watched it and gave it a two, I'd be a little surprised. I'd be like, wow, that's unfortunate. One person. Only one. Yeah. One. It's fine. That's un I, that's unfortunate. But whatever. Um, yeah. Welcome. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm, I'm sorry that you had to watch a two movie while I got to watch a four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just real quick. Yeah. Uh, um, I, do the, uh, I went to the Wikipedia page of Augusto Pinochet just to see if there was anything. Yeah. Um, I don't see anything resembling... Uh, yeah, I don't see anything resembling German ties. Okay, perfect. Uh, definitely definitely uh, accused more than once on his Wikipedia page of being a fascist. Okay. If you search for the word fascism or... Yeah, I just looked up fascism. There's 20 matches on his Wikipedia page. So there's okay. definitely those ties, but so German it, Nazi, not so much. Chilean dictator. Chilean, thank you. Oh, right, that's what it is. So not a Nazi, it, but it, it, does dive, it does dive into fascism. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Like, not a Nazi, but definitely not not a Nazi. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, the next movie I want to talk about, I decided that I had a, a day without my daughter. Uh, I, took, I took a road trip. And I had the opportunity to knock off the only three Best Picture nominees I hadn't seen. So I got them all done in one day. So the first one we're going to discuss uh, is The Zone of Interest. <coughs> The Commandant of Auschwitz, Rudolf Hulss, and his wife Hedwig strive to build a dream life for their family in a house and garden next to the camp. Every year, the Academy nominates a film for Best Picture that makes no sense to me, and that is this film. The only things I will say about this movie that are good are, one, the cinematography in this film is breathtaking. Two, the... Um, the word i'm looking for god damn it the staging of every scene each shot is meticulously made everything is framed perfectly like jaw-droppingly perfectly you're what every every time they do a shot you're just like oh everything is exactly where it should be like it is beautiful the sound design as the uh the plot description has told you that this family literally lives next door to Auschwitz. So you are watching them live their day-to-day -day life, but every once in a while you will hear a gunshot in the background and you know exactly what has happened. They do not show it. They don't even reference it. You just hear it. And every once in a while you will hear a terrible scream and you know exactly why 
that scream has occurred, but they don't show it. You just hear it as background noise. So that choice kind of heightens your tension and your apprehension as you're watching it. But my problem with this movie is that I have no reason whatsoever to understand why this movie exists. It makes no sense to me. There's why did they make this movie? There is no, in my opinion, there's no dramatic tension. There's nothing that this family has to overcome. There's nothing that they're doing that is of any major interest. I was literally quite bored watching this movie. I will not deny the filmmaking prowess it took to make this and all the technical aspects. But as a film itself, I am 100% glad I saw it in the theater because if I watched this at home, I would have been on my phone for the majority of it. I did not really care for this movie too much. It gets a passing grade. It gets a three because of how well made it is. But this movie being nominated for Best Picture, uh, sadly, uh, it, it, it's just it's one of the ones every year that I don't understand. It's while not at the same disdain I had last year for Triangle of Sadness, uh, it is the one Best Picture nominee that I am unsure of why it's here. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, I I just watched this movie Saturday, mm-hmm. so the day did, and. As soon as I saw it, I I, I kind of instantly knew that it wasn't going to be a Manny movie. I'm pretty surprised that you gave it a three. I was fully expecting for you to go on the same lines of Rachel and give it a two. Um, and I wasn't all that hot on it either. I did I did really enjoy it, um, but by no means do I think it's a masterpiece or one of the best movies of the year, um, in my personal opinion. Um, but... Just uh, adding on to everything you said, the technical elements of this film, the sound design, the uh, cinematography and the camera placement. I was doing some reading up on it and Mm -hmm. the biggest, I don't know if you knew this, but the biggest inspiration behind the cinematography in this movie was the show, the reality show, Big Brother. You guys heard of Big Brother? I've heard of it. I've never watched an episode. I've heard of Big Brother. So big, yeah, it's basically the show where a bunch of people like, I've never seen it either, but I'm a, I think they just all live in the same house um, for a while. And the cameras are are all fixed and placed in high corners. Mm-hmm. And they basically just surveil the entire time. And that's what it felt like this movie was doing. You're really just surveilling this family. You're peeking in on them and, and watching them go through their day-to-day life. So when you say there's no dramatic tension and that you're bored. I fully understand that because I think that's exactly what the filmmakers were going for. Oh, I, I think for sure to entertain or tell a gripping story, but it was more meant to act as a portrait of this family's life. And for me, that's what it made it pow- what made it so powerful because throughout the whole thing, you hear these gunshots going off, you hear these screams in the background and they've just, managed to block it out completely and they go about their daily lives as if nothing is happening uh one of the characters in fact fights for her to stay in the house next to auschwitz which is how much she loves her life there and at first glance this just seems like such a regular normal everyday suburbanite Um, the family, the kids play out in the yard, the dad goes to work every day, and the mom does the chores around the house, just a very nuclear family. And for me, that was what 
was one of the most gripping aspects of this of this movie is because whenever we picture Nazis or whenever we picture fascists, it's almost like we picture these horned little devils um, and very evil people that are that are um, doing these horrible things. But this movie completely flips that and says, no, these are humans. These are everyday. These are regular people. Um, I have a quote from the filmmaker, actually. Um, it says, I hope the film that we made, what it's trying to do is talk to the capacity within each of us for violence. Wherever you're from, it's to try and show these people, the Nazis, as people, not as monsters. That was an important thing to do. The great crime and tragedy is that human beings did this to other human beings. It's very convenient for us to distance ourselves from them. And I thought that was the one of the most powerful aspects of the film is because it asks, how do we know when we see evil if evil is part of regular people's lives? And if we're not able to recognize it in other people, um, how are we able to recognize it in ourselves and when we've crossed that line? There's a lot of people that don't agree with that take and don't agree with that read of the movie. Um, but personally, that's that's what I took away from it was the movie's exploration of evil. Um, and also, I mean, for you, Manny, you probably couldn't wait for this movie to end. But what for lowered lowered the score for me was the very abrupt ending. I honestly could have used like another 20 minutes or so. Um, but where it ended, I, I just wasn't fully satisfied with where it, ended, where it ended off. And so that's what lowered it a little bit for me. I wasn't um, I wasn't like th- eagerly anticipating an ending. I was eagerly anticipating for something to happen. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So so when it ended, I was just like, okay, I guess it's over. Yeah, that's it. But I yeah. like I can like that take if that's you know that that's what the filmmaker's going for. Uh, great, awesome, mission accomplished. You watch me, you you made me watch a very mundane thing occur in a family that happened to be living next door to Auschwitz. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Uh, you're the the. Uh, the reference of it being like surveillance, uh, perfect. Like you saying that, thinking of numerous shots now that just make sense. Like especially the the one in the kitchen itself, where they're always passing through the kitchen to get into the dining room. That camera is always in that exact same spot every single time that they that they show that kitchen. So uh, knowing that now. Again, like I said, that's why I got a three, is the technical aspects of this film are un- undeniable. Sure. But the entertainment factor is next to zero. For sure. Uh, and like there's like there's a 45-second scene of him turning off every light in the house. Yeah. You l- watch this man walk through his house and turn off every light in the house. And I'm just like, what's the fucking point? Like, why are you showing me this? It doesn't develop any character. I was... Yeah. I was just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Not fair. not for That's me. Fair. Only gets a passing grade because of how beautiful and how incredibly well made it was. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. The next film I'd like to discuss was the third film. The Zone of Interest was the first. I'm going to end. I'm going to. The next one is going to one I ended my day with. Uh, and it was one that I was eh, looking forward to. Uh, that's the uh, Best Picture nominee, American Fiction. A novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment uses a pen name to write a book that propels him into the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims 
to disdain. This movie's unfucking believable. This movie is fucking awesome. Best picture nominee, best actor nominee for Jeffrey Wright, best supporting actor nominee for Sterling K. Brown. This movie's fucking hilarious. I was in a room, I was in a theater of about, I would say, 15 or so people, and I was the only one laughing. Or I was laughing so loud I couldn't hear the other ones. Either way, I was having the best time in that theater. I cannot wait to rewatch this. Jeffrey Wright is fucking spectacular. I had so much fun with this movie. I, I can't recommend it enough. It is an absolute blast. I love how it just completely eviscerates the hypocrisy of this movie. I love that Jeffrey Wright cannot handle how people are in this movie. In the opening... Have, have you seen this, Wes? Nope. Okay. Uh, there's a scene at the very beginning. It's not a spoiler because it's just the introduction to the character. But okay. he they don't show it, but they show the av- after effects of him eviscerating a woke student and it made me ecstatic ecstatic it's very similar very similar not in tone because this is played for comedy but very similar to the juilliard scene in tar i was gonna say that's my scene of the year yeah hell yeah (laughs) and so unfortunately we don't actually get to see what he says to eviscerator but we get to see the after effects and it was delicious um it is so so funny. Like, there's so many times I was laughing out loud. Uh, and it's also filled with really touching moments. Some things occur in this movie I didn't anticipate. Uh, and it was it was really great to see. Uh, I had a great time with this movie. I can totally see all the... No- well, Jeffrey Wright getting a nomination makes sense. The Best Picture nomination makes sense. Sterling K. Brown, I'm unsure... His performance is 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 actually really good. I'm just unsure where they're gonna pull his uh, for your consideration scene. I think there's a couple. I think I was maybe kind of looking from a little bit more from an actor so great. So I think what it is is that he's so good in the small amount of screen time he's given that it maybe elevates it. Either way, I'm not upset with the with the with the nomination. I just. After going in knowing he was nominated, I was kind of, I guess maybe I was kind of looking for more. But other than that, it was a fucking blast of a film. I highly, highly anticipate everybody to watch this. I hope they love it as much as I do. Uh, it was a four out of five. It's one that I'm going to be revisiting as often as I can because it's fucking funny as shit. Sweet. Yeah, I uh, I haven't had a chance for this one yet, unfortunately. I will be waiting for this one to come to Kamloops. The only thing I have to add about it is uh, Sterling K. Brown. I will be watching for his performance. He famously uh, has one of the one of the best single episode runs in Brooklyn Nine Nine. He has one episode where he is a uh, he is somebody who they've hauled into interrogation, who they know is guilty of a murder, but they can't charge him because they don't know how he did it. Uh, so they haul him in for interrogation, and he is just fuck. He's fucking hysterical. He's a he has. It's uh, other than the um, other than the um, oh man, there's a fa- there's another famous one where they sing a song to start the episode. But other, other than that one, it's like one of the most famous episodes of Brooklyn Nine Nine. So that's basically my entire experience with Sterling K. Brown. Unless uh, I'm sure there's probably a couple others I just am not thinking about. Well, he's my head. he's Killmonger's dad in Black Panther. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in Jobu. Yeah. Yeah. In Black Panther. Uh, yeah. The rest of it. I think that's probably the only other spot I've uh, I've ever seen him in. I'm sure he's probably showed up on some other TV as well. But definitely, I remember him from Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I can't wait to get back to that episode of my rewatch. Nice. Did you just pull <laughs> that name from Black Panther off the top of your head, or were you looking? Oh, I, I wish, dude. I don't know okay, I was gonna say <laughs> that is. <fair. laughs> No, I, I arrived. The reason that I didn't know he was in Black Panther, uh, but then I remembered the name is because I pulled up the, the page just as many. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I realized how that looked like I was a secret genius. <laughs> you wish. You wish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, this is um, a movie that came onto my radar after it started getting some awards buzz. I do really like uh, Jeffrey Wright as well from... Um, Batman, French Dispatch, Asteroid City, some of the Hunger Games movies. So he's always been an actor that really uh, sticks out to me. Um, Sterling K. Brown, I hadn't heard of. I mean, I have seen him in, in Black Panther, but I didn't uh, necessarily remember that he was in that. But then after hearing him also get some buzz and then get some nominations or, uh, for his role, uh Definitely, um, yeah, piqued my interest. It's definitely on my radar. I'm probably going to try to wait for it to come to streaming. But if it's not on streaming uh, before the Oscars comes around, I'll just probably go ahead and rent it. But, um, yeah, it's... definitely definitely going to give it a try. I wouldn't be surprised um, if it's in theaters down there, dude. Ooh, I should look that up. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Wright, for me, uh, where I have my experience with him is uh, – as a young fan of Casino Royale, the 2006 one, he's in that one. Yeah. Uh, of course, I would go on to become uh, quite the poker fan as well. So that movie, <laughs> kind of a guilty pleasure place in my heart in that regard. So in the in the James Bond movies, he shows up. And then because I'll mention it every time I get a chance to, he has a three-episode run <laughs> in BoJack Horseman. There you go. <laughs> Wait, Jeffrey Wright or Sterling K? Jeffrey Wright. Uh, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright? Oh, sick. Yeah. Nice. All right, and the last movie that I want to talk about was the one I was probably, in all honesty, the least looking forward to watching. Uh, made by a filmmaker that I just don't connect with. But it was nominated for Best Picture, so I had to try and get it under my belt, plus numerous other nominations. And that is the newest Yorgos Lanthimos film, Poor Things. The incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist, Dr. Godwin Baxter. Sam, you haven't seen this yet. No, I haven't. Okay. I really, I cannot, I, when you said it was when you were least looking forward to, I was shocked because of how much praise this film was getting. Then I remembered, of course, that you're not the biggest Yorgos Lanthimos fan in the world. So no, so, no, no. Um, okay, well, I'll talk about this movie. Actually, it'll be very easy for me to talk about this movie without spoiling anything. <clears throat> the first five to ten minutes, I was leaning over to Rachel. Uh, shout out to Rachel, who watched two of these movies with me, Zone of Interest and this Poor Things. Uh, less than ten minutes into the movie, I leaned over to Rachel. I'm like, I hate this movie already. And it was – I was dreading it. I was – like this movie, I'm like, I can't believe I have another two hours and ten minutes of this bullshit. I am going to kill myself. <clears throat> the movie slowly gets better. But the moment that Mark Ruffalo appears on screen, the movie goes to another level. I am so happy that he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination for this because he is absolutely 
unfucking believable in this movie. There is, of course, no denying how good Emma Stone is in this movie. Her Oscar, her Oscar nomination is 100% worthy. She is mesmerizing. I'm still pulling for Lily Gladstone, but if Emma Stone does, cause I think it's 1A, 1B between those two. Uh, if either one gets it, I won't feel that the other was robbed. I, I, this is truly an absolutely spectacular performance from her. That being said, Mark Ruffalo is the highlight of this movie for me. Like, <laughs> running away. He is so fucking funny. Like, so fucking funny. I. He is the reason that I love this movie as much as I did. It's a four out of five. And right now, this is the only Yorgos Lanthimos film that I will happily rewatch. I will just fast forward past the first ten minutes or so, which annoyed the fuck out of me. But it it does it got so much better. I was having a great time. I'm not a fan, <clears throat> and again, it is Lanthimos. So shocker, a uh, whole bunch of fisheye lens, which makes no sense to me. A uh, whole bunch of the only way I can describe it keyhole lens where you looks it's like you're looking through a keyhole except you're not looking through a keyhole i don't know why he does it it the the scenes he chooses them for aren't of any type of importance so whatever it's an artistic choice that i just don't agree with and that's the score in this movie uh was beyond irritating but despite all of that it's still a four out of five i had so much fun this movie's fucking hilarious especially, and I can't say it enough, Mark Ruffalo fucking rules. I know that the Oscar's going to Robert Downey Jr. because they're dying to give him one, but this is where I truly wish the Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar would go to. He is unfucking believable in this movie. Wow. So are you rooting for Mark Ruffalo over Ryan Gosling now? Oh, no. (laughs) I'm still still pulling for Gosling, uh, but... Right now, if anybody, let's who else is in there? Uh, where? Oops, I moved past it. Uh, I, I, if Sterling K. Brown or Robert De Niro win, uh, that will be mind blowing to me. Not that De Niro's bad; I think he's really great. Um, it, but they're dying to give an Oscar to to RDJ, so I know he's going to oh. get it. Yeah. But if if Gosling or a Ruffalo win, I will be ecstatic because those two performances are. Just comedic gold, comedic gold. It, it, was, uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I I will not stop heaping praise on Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Uh, neither of you saw May December, right? Nah. Yeah, uh, that's my pick for most annoying score of the year. Just just for the record, just sort of keeping track. Okay. That score is distractingly bad. So I just, uh, if you do wind up watching it, uh, let me know. Or if I watch Poor Things, I'll let you know if it uh, if it wins out. Okay, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so glad that you liked it, Manny. Um, as you know, it's made my number three of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an absolute blast with it. Um, I love the journey that Emma Stone's character goes on yep. and her development throughout the whole film. Uh, steals the show, um, I thought. Personally, I was more of a fan of Will, um, yeah, of Willem Dafoe's performance, but I thought both of them were fantastic. The only one that couldn't really keep up with the rest of the cast for me was Gerard Carmichael, um, who's the character that she meets on the boat uh, to Lisbon, the young man that she meets. He was like the only performance that didn't really uh, come up to par with the rest of the cast, but he's known as a stand-up comedian more than he is as an actor. So 
that kind of made sense. But the rest of the cast I thought was fantastic. I thought uh, all the technical elements worked perfect for, perfectly for me. I loved the um, cinematography. I loved the score personally. I thought what it was, do what it was doing was amazing. Um, I love the use of color and the really big dramatic color switch about, uh, I would want to say like 20 to 20 minutes to half an hour into the movie. Um, uh, and there's a very like key part of uh, Emma Stone's progression that when it switches to color out of black and white was made very apparent and, and it worked really well for me. Um, yeah, I, I'm so glad that you gave this a four out of five. Also wasn't really expecting that, but um, yeah, really stoked that you liked it. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to you watching this, Sam, because I, th I think you're going to love this movie. Oh, God, I, I have the same suspicion. I really do. I don't want to go in with too high of expectations and disappoint myself, but um, I, I will be shocked if I don't really like this. Yes, same. There, I would be pretty shocked. There is an aspect of the film that I'm not going to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if, of all people, it rubs Sam the wrong way compared to other people. But we can save that for when we watch it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You watch it. All right. So that All wraps right. up uh, what we've been watching. Uh, Sam, what do we got later this week? Later this week, stay tuned. Uh, Wes is going to be joining us still for uh, episode 283, where we're talking yeah. about Martin Scorsese's 1997 effort, Kundan. The <laughs> All right. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us, which we greatly appreciate. You can also give us a rating on Spotify, which I'm sure helps us in some way. I, I can't, can't hurt, right? Uh, so take if out, it's a one, maybe. Yeah, ooh, that's true. Uh, if you take <laughs> out 30 seconds of your time and give us a rating, we greatly appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. You can Email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42, Sam Reimer, and... Wesley Cole Meineker. Wicked. On Letterboxd, our... Well, it's, I'm, I'll speak for Sam. My favorite app. His favorite app. Probably one of Wes's favorite apps. My most used app. Usually. It's my most used app by far. Um, yeah, that wraps it up for social media. For the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. I'm Wesley Meineker. And I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!